Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you now, for you are the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Enable us to understand your word now, so that we may be people who love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one reputation Australians have is for being straight talkers. Direct in communication, we say what is on our mind. And as a former teacher of mine once said, we can be as subtle as a brick. Uh, and, uh, but there is evidence going around that the art of subtlety is being embraced by Australians after all. That is evidenced in the use of a more recent expression that has come to be known as, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah, uh, yeah, nah. And just for balance, of course, there is also the nah, yeah, thrown in as well. And looking it up on the internet showed me that there were many ways to use the yeah, nah in a conversation, and one of those ways was included, uh, included saying things like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but nah, I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah, I can see you have a point, but nah, I'm choosing to ignore it. And just as we can express a subtle yeah, nah into one another, we can also carry that over in relating to God. And today as we begin our series on the book of Deuteronomy, let us see how the great yeah, nah applies out as people engage with the reality of God uh, in this world. How are we saying yes to God and no to the alternative? Uh, we'll explore that as we go through Deuteronomy. And to help us to see where Deuteronomy fits into the storyline, Tom gave us a bit of an introduction at the start. Uh, let me uh, revisit a basic timeline structure that we've utilised in the past. You may remember we used some key words beginning with the letter E. Can you remember some of them? And if you can't, you can uh, take a peek, look, uh, a look in the bulletin and the three are written there for you uh, in case. The first E is for Eden, the Garden of Eden in the opening chapters of the Bible. Adam and Eve were given the choice to follow God's wise instructions in living in the place God designed for them. It was the first. But they chose not to. They chose not to hold on to the wisdom of God's plans for them. And in one sense, it was the first, yeah, nah in the Bible. Yes, we agree in theory, but now nah, our actions will show otherwise. God gave them over to what they had chosen, and from that point on, their tainted wisdom meant that they were incapable of living in the place that God had designed for them. And in one sense, the rest of the Bible is a search for how God's people can once again be living in the place that God had designed for them and enjoying the blessings of his rule. And as the storyline of the Bible unfolds, God continually reveals information about how that will happen. And some of the most significant clues are given less than 10 chapters after Adam and Eve made their fateful choice. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes some key promises to one of Adam's descendants uh, called Abraham, Com promises to make his descendants into a great nation, living under the blessings of his rule in the place that God had designed for them. You might be familiar with the threefold design of God's people living in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Now, as the first book of the Bible ends and the second one begins, we find the first of these promises already fulfilled. God's people, descended from Abraham, have expanded to become a great nation of people. But far from living under the rule and blessing of God in the place that he has designed for them, they are living in distress as slaves under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh in Egypt. 
They cry out to God who raised up a man called Moses to lead them out of slavery in what we call the Exodus. I accidentally pressed the page down there. <laughs> Let me go back find my notes. A place called Exodus. Um, here we go. They cry out to God who raises up a man called Moses and he leads them out uh, in, uh, in what we call Exodus. So that's the second E, Exodus. So Eden, Exodus. And after a series of powerful redemptive miracles, they are on their way to the promised land in fulfilment of the promises to Abraham. There's hope in the air, the brutal past is behind them, and the blessing of a place to live and call home awaits. Now, like good old road trips in Australia that always have a stopover, the people have a stopover of their own on the way to the promised land. Their stopover is not at the servo, halfway down the freeway, of course, as we do, popping into Maccas, but their stopover is at a place called Mount Sinai. Uh, or Horeb, as it is often referred to in Deuteronomy. You'll see that when you see Horeb in Deuteronomy, that's another way of saying Mount Sinai. And it is at Mount Sinai where God gives them instructions on how to live as his people. And the crux of those instructions is what we know as the Ten Commandments. So the third E is for entry. Entry into the promised land itself. Eden, Exodus, entry. And as they were about to enter the promised land, God took them aside once again and explained how to live in the land he was giving them to possess. In 1 Timothy, last term, we saw how God gave his people instructions on how to conduct themselves as members of God's household. The book of Deuteronomy is a little bit like that. Instead of giving, using the language of household, he uses the language of community, uh, the covenant community of God's people. Well, that gives you a little bit of context in the wider story of the Old Testament so far. Let's have a look at the immediate context of Deuteronomy itself. And I remember when I was at school learning about all the wah questions, the wah question words. Initially, I found them hard to remember, but I ended up going with this. I remembered what, when, why, where, who, how. Did you get those? What, when, why, where, who, how. What, when, why, where, who, and the black sheep of the family, how because the W and the H are the other way around. But let's use some of them, some of them as a guide to get our brain around what is happening at the start of Deuteronomy. Let's start with a what question. The first five books of the Bible are referred to as the Torah, what we call, as Christians call, the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy, of course, is the fifth of the five books of the Pentateuch. What are the first four? Genesis. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. I'm glad you didn't say Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. <laughs> but the Old Testament was mainly written in Hebrew and uh, as uh, Tom mentioned at the beginning, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek and originally the Hebrew name of the fifth book utilised the, the expression found uh, at the, in the first verse there of words or these are the words. But in the second century when translating uh, Deuteronomy into Greek, the word Deuteronomy was used and it, it, the two Greek words meaning second and law, second law. But although the, the word Deuteronomy means second law, it's not actually a second law to add to the first that was handed down at Mount Sinai. It's not a second law, but it's simply an explanation of the content of the law that was given uh, to, uh, to the people at Sinai. But it's actually, it's actually an explanation to the second generation. So a second explanation of the law. Uh, of, of the generation that came out of Egypt. So the explanation is recorded for us in a series of sermons uh, throughout Deuteronomy. 
Uh, that's basically what the quest, the what question. Let's move to the who. Who was involved? Verse one. There you can see in verse one. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel. These sermons were given by Moses, but it is understood that an editor compiled the book so as to include detail about Moses, such as his death at the end. And it sounds like I just spoiled the ending of a good book there by telling you that Moses died at the end, but just as well you already know that uh, and you don't have to worry. But who was it written to? You can see, spoke to all Israel. This expression, all Israel, appears here and in the very last verse of the whole book, about 14 uh, places in between, and it's an expression, an expression that assumes there is a unity among them as members of God's covenant people across the generations, the household of God who are called to trust in the promises of God. So we have, we've had the, had the what and the who, but what about the where? Where are they? These are the words, verse 1, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in, in the wilderness. They are not in Egypt. They've left Egypt, they're not in the promised land. But they are in the wilderness, east of the Jordan. That is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth and Dizahab. And the precise location of these other places mentioned there is not so clear, but what is clear is they are not in the promised land. They are not yet in the promised land. They are in the wilderness east of the Jordan, the Transjordan, as it is known. And a point that is repeated in verse 5 there is to highlight they are not in the promised land yet. Now, small talk with people we have never met can be very daunting at the best of times. Trying to start a conversation uh, can be very difficult. And uh, one thing I find useful is to ask people where they are from. Where, where are you from? It's a reasonably easy question to ask. It's uh, not uh, controversial. Uh, and, uh, and, so, and then one question that can flow from that is, how long did it take to get here? It's a re two reasonably easy questions to help me with small talk, and we can build a conversation from there. Well, it seems as though Moses was asked a kind of, how long did it take to get here kind of question, like a small talk kind of question. Because in verse 2, he adds a seemingly random comment about travel times. How long did it take to get there? It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. But there's nothing random in Scripture, but this relates to what comes next with the when question. When did Moses say these things to the people? And you can see it in verse 3. In the 40th year, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to, all the, to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. Now the mention of the 40th year links us back to Numbers chapters 13 and 14, and what happened with the first generation of people who came out of Egypt. Like Adam and Eve before them, they were a yeah-nah generation. They agreed in theory, but they didn't follow it up in their actions. They refused to take possession of what was promised. They refused to take possession of the promised land 40 years previously. So God gave them what they asked for, and they wandered around in the desert for 40 years until that generation died out. It's something we'll look in more detail at next week uh, in the first three chapters. Now, Deuteronomy is essentially written to explain God's instructions to this second generation about to enter the Promised Land. And the question that remains throughout the book is, will they be a year now generation like their parents? Will their actions demonstrate they are actually a yeah, yeah 
generation? Or will they pay lip service to God and say yes, but say no uh, in the way they live that out in their lives? What, who, where and when is what we've covered. But there is more to the when question in verse 4. And this was after he had defeated Sion, king of the Amorites, verse 4, who reigned in Heshbon and at, at, and at Edrei, Edrei and, uh, and at Edrei had defeated king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. Now this reminder of God's past victories gives them courage to face the challenges ahead. There are many challenges ahead as verse 5 and 5 goes on to show that God has planned for them next. And he goes on in verse 5, East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound the law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates. In verse 6 and 8 there, the words the Lord our God are placed at the start to emphasise that the Lord is their God. It's the first thing that comes up in the speech. Now we've, we've all got different learning styles. I don't know what kind of learning style you have. I'm, I'm a visual learner. Uh, I need to see things to understand. So to help me understand... Uh, Deuteronomy, the big picture of Deuteronomy and some of the details, I stuck, I printed out the whole book and stuck it to the wall of my office. Blue tack, well actually when I say wall I mean walls, plural there, of my office. I used a larger font uh, and printed over 60 pages worth so it's stuck on the two walls there. And then I went through and highlighted in purple every reference to the word the Lord, the expression the Lord. So when you look at, if you come into my office and you look up on the walls, you'll see there's a lot of purple on the walls, uh, on these 60-odd pages, because the expression the Lord your God and the Lord our God appears everywhere. Uh, Deuteronomy is saturated uh, with that expression, and it constantly reminds us that the Lord God, the only God, is their God, and he is deeply committed to his people. It's the same God who's deeply committed to us. The Lord God, the only God. Verse 6 goes on. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, and although it was their parents' generation that was technically at Mount Sinai who heard the words, they are, they are often addressed as if it was them who were there. And this reinforces the solidarity they have as the people of God and the importance of handing down the word to each successive generation. He, said, he says there, you have stayed long enough on this mountain. Now Mount Sinai was only ever meant to be a stopover on the journey, not the destination. But notice how it doesn't say, you have stayed long enough with me. He says, you have stayed long enough on the mountain. Because God is not limited to a particular geographical place. God is with us wherever we go. Wherever God takes us. Now, during this past week, we had the funeral for Diane uh, here, and it was a very special occasion, a great opportunity uh, to hold out the word of life for people who don't know God. But uh, when George and I went to visit her the day before she passed away, I remember leaving 
uh, the nursing home and her room in particular. I remember sort of closing the door, pulling it uh, not completely shut as I left. And I remember seeing, the last thing I saw was a glimpsing her lying there on her own. And she couldn't speak or say anything, but it's the last thing I saw. And I'm thinking, I'm leaving this lady on her own. This lady's dying. I'm leaving her on her own. But the reality is she wasn't on her own. God was with her. And no matter how isolated you may be, how challenged or otherwise uh, in the present, God is present with you. He is with you. God is not limited by geography. Now the promises to Abraham of becoming a great nation blessed by God were becoming true. They were yet to realise that the third aspect of the promises, a place to stay, a land to realise. They were yet to realise that. And at this point it was only a promised land. They were in the wilderness still. And taking possession of that promise is a key theme that runs through the book of Deuteronomy. And it's, the word land appears almost 200 times. And we'll explore that as we go through but taking possession of the promised land was dependent on two things. Firstly, the Lord had to be faithful to his promises to provide for them. And that is definitely a yes. But you can see the use of the word break camp there in verse 7. It is literally the word turn. This suggests the decision is to be made to leave behind their previous way of life and set eyes on the life that God has planned for them. So the second condition for taking possession of the land was the willingness of the people to be on the move and take hold of what God has in store for them. And we'll see this theme also of making a choice, a choo-choo choice, uh, also appear prominently throughout the book of Deuteronomy. It's kind of like saying to them, don't get too comfortable. This is not all there is. God has more plans for you. For those plans, for us, those plans include the invitation to trust in Jesus who came to prepare a place for us in heaven, the true promised land that this land in Deuteronomy was pointing to. And we know that by dying on the cross in our place, Jesus dealt with the judgment that we deserved for saying nah to God and turning our backs on him. Our hope to be restored as one of God's people living in God's place under the blessing of his rule is based on the work, personal work of Jesus Christ. And finally, this passage rounds it out with, see, I've given you, in verse 8 there, I've given you this land. Go in, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and to their descendants after them. Now, while, seven while verse 7 described the land geographically, here the land is described as part of God's plans and purposes and promises made earlier on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And this reference to God promising on oath to their ancestors, you'll see the names Abraham, Isaac and Jacob also appear regularly throughout Deuteronomy. It's a reminder of the irreversible nature of God's promises. That God has provided everything they need to take hold 
of what he has promised. Well, there you go. That gives you a basic starting point for the book of Deuteronomy, a very, very fast and very quick uh, map uh, sort of that lays out a little bit of what lies ahead uh, and their context and where they're at. And over these next 12 weeks, we're going to journey together in more detail as we discover what God has in store for us individually as well as together as a congregation and the, uh, as we live and serve in the community in which we are. Now, key questions for us to ask are, as we begin our journey, am I prepared to go where God is leading me? Am I prepared to go where God is leading me? Are we going to be willing to take hold of all that God has prepared for us? How is the Aussie expression, yeah, nah, going to play out for us? Yeah, I agree with God's word, but nah, I'm not willing to turn from the mountain and go where God leads me. Am I going to say yeah with my mouth and nah with my actions? Like he always has, God is taking us as a congregation also on a journey. The journey at this point of its history, of its 175-year history, particularly the last five years, happens to involve significant change. Before I was here five years ago or three years ago, moving from this building because of safety reasons and having to meet in the hall. Moving from meeting in the hall to meeting online. And then moving back into the hall and then moving back in here again with all the changes. A handful of kids five years ago and now over 50, including youth sitting in the pews. The multicultural mix of this congregation. There are so many changes that have been going on. But they're changes that God is bringing about. And the challenge for each of us is not to squander the opportunity to learn from what God is teaching us through this journey that we're going through as a congregation at this point in time. We can squander it by not being willing to embrace all of who God is. Not just the parts that make us feel comfortable. Now, as we go through Deuteronomy, there's going to be some very uncomfortable parts. And we have to decide, are we just going to put the parts that we don't like to the side? Or are we going to say, this is the word of God, and this is who God is? We're going to have to make a choice about that. Are we going to embrace all of who God is? We can squander it by refusing to say no to chasing an alternative lifestyle to the one that God has designed for us. We're all surrounded by the temptations in different ways. To live lives, to have priorities that don't reflect the priorities of God. That's going to be a challenge for us individually and as a congregation. We walk together through those challenges. The challenge for all of us through this book will be about the willingness to be an all of life. The willingness for all of us to be an all of life disciple of Jesus. Not just the areas that we pick and choose. 
So as we go through the book, let's keep asking, what is God teaching me about what I need to say yes to and what I need to say no to? And at a practical level, over the next 12 weeks, can I encourage you to take some time out every Sunday afternoon to write down some of the things that God is teaching you through this series on Deuteronomy. What God is inviting you to say yes to and what is he challenging you to say no to as you choose to follow him. I've actually printed out a sheet to help you with that. If you find it helpful in the bulletin, you'll notice there was a lot of things in there, uh, a bit of a detail about Deuteronomy, but also this extra one here. Uh, every day, I mean every Sunday, you can just write down what's God teaching me, challenging me to say, uh, encouraging me to say yes to from this passage in Scripture, this journey. What has God been challenging me to say no to? Just write a few sentences down. Uh, you can make it bigger if you want to and uh, take some other, put a, get an exercise book or something. And once again, at the end of the series, like we did last week with the 1 Timothy series, I'm going to pause at the end of the final sermon or some point during the service to reflect on where God has been taking us over, over those 12 weeks. And so this is an opportunity to, to do that as we go along. Uh, let me pray uh, for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been at work through history. That you have been at work in the history of the world and that you have been at work in the history of our individual lives and that you have been at work in the history of this congregation. May we be people who have hearts that are open to going where you want to take us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.